The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal, from the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. And welcome to another edition of Engaging Truth. I'm your host, John Kane. With us today on the program, we've got uh, Pastor Doyle Thimer. He's the Associate Pastor for Church Life at Christ the King Lutheran Church in Kingwood, Texas. Welcome to the program, Doyle. Hey, John. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So today we wanted to talk um, about Luther and what it means to be Lutheran and those kinds of things in this month of uh, October when this airs. Uh, it's a time when we mark the Reformation, uh, that recognition of the gospel, the good news of our salvation, and and all of the things that go along with that. Um, and so we have a confession of, of what we believe, um, and that's both, I guess, a verb and a noun. So let's yeah. uh, talk about that a little bit, maybe the process and the content. Sure. Well, um, of course, Luther's defining moment was when— uh, the he was put on trial at, at uh, the Diet of Worms, and and he um, is told to retract his writings. And um, he says, you know, unless you can show me by clear scripture and and reasoning anywhere that I'm wrong, I can retract that. But otherwise, um, it would it would be wrong to go against conscience, wrong to go against the word of God. So here I stand. I, I can't do otherwise. So that's his. Um, that's a defining moment in, in the Reformation. And you see the elements of confession there, but is that everything that he had written, he saw as um, reflecting the word of God. And then of course, um, some years later, we have the Augsburg Confession. And um, even later we have the Formula Concord with that repeated phrase, we believe, teach and confess. And, and so our confession um, we tend to think of this body of teaching, this body of doctrine that, that defines us as Lutherans. Uh, but what Luther was doing was also a verbal, uh, I mean, a process that he was confessing the faith before the emperor and the princes and, and the, the church hierarchy. And it's just like faith. In Jude, it says, please contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Um, but then faith is also that action. Of believing its process. So um, I believe that um, if we do not see confessing as, as more of a process than, um, than the mere content of what we are confessing, they go together. But um, there's, there's so much I think that's being missed when we, when we don't, don't think about the process of what we're doing as we confess the faith. So the Lutheran Confessions, as a collection of foundational documents, uh, all reference the Bible. Uh, they're sort of our equivalent to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and maybe the Federalist Papers. But that's our foundational documents. Um, and so we we sometimes are described as being confessional. Yeah. Uh, and why is that important? Why is that important that we have um, a confession and not just a name? Well... Um, you know, we are not loyal to a human institution. We're loyal to the 
spiritual body, the church. And what we understand is that it's our confession that defines us, what we say. And, and I think Luther put it most beautifully in his explanation of what are we saying in the second article when we say, I be and I believe in um, the Lord Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and so forth. He says, I believe that, that this man, born of the Virgin Mary, um, and who is also the Son of God, begotten of the Father from eternity, he has redeemed me, a lost and condemned sinner, by his own blood. Well, what he is doing is confessing the faith. He's illustrating what it's like to confess the faith. Paul said it first in Romans. He says, you know, if you um, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And what we're doing there is, is we're saying something very paradoxical, very illogical, really, that this man uniquely is God in the flesh. You know, it's, we're confessing the, the, we're acknowledging something that has first been revealed to us and we're mirroring it back. That's, that's really what confession is. It's, it's, the, the Greek word for it is to say the same thing. Um, in our day and age, social media, um, sometimes people talk about an echo chamber, you know, where there's no outside input and, and there's a distortion from just uh, the positive reinforcement of the same voices. But that would be a good thing in the church, at least in our relationship with God, that that we are echoing, we are the echo chamber. Our worship services are the echo chamber of his truth. He reveals the truth. We reflect it back to him in, in praise and thanksgiving. Um, he reveals that his son, uh, who was raised from the dead, is Lord. And we say, Jesus Christ is Lord. See, that's the process of confession, is we're mirroring back what God has first revealed to us. So our faith is not a vague hopefulness but rather it's concrete based in the promises of God and what you're talking about. We're confessing, we're echoing back what God has already said to us in his word. Right, right. And and so the process of confession then leads us <clears throat> to really reflect on the fact of, of, of how all humanity is united with the deity in, in the person of Christ. You know, that the, that he, he died for all on the cross, but also he incorporates all. Um, he represents all on, on the cross, all of us. Um, and for those of us who believe and receive, then um, that the dynamics of his relationship to the Father then become kind of a paradigm for us in our relationship with the Father. And of course, um, we can get a, a little, we can be focused on him as an example. We want to follow Jesus' way of life. Um, but first, we've got to think about Jesus as gift. What, is, what does that mean? What are we confessing in baptism, for instance? Um, so describe that gift a little bit for us. Yeah, so um, we look at baptism. That's really the first revelation of the Trinity. You, you see uh, Jesus is there in the water and, and, he, and he's in line and uh, John is confused. He says, uh, pardon me, you're in the center line, but you're not a sinner. What are you doing here? And Jesus says, well, I'm, I'm here to fulfill all righteousness. And, and John's a little puzzled because he's thinking, you know, you should be baptizing me, not me, you. 
And and Jesus says, well, this is this is the Father's plan. Just just do what you need to do here. And and so John does his water baptism, and the Father speaks out of heaven, "You are my Son. With you, I'm well pleased." He he pours out the Holy Spirit, the form of the dove. Um, so what happens there is is very interesting. You know, uh, when when Athanasius was arguing against the Arians, he comes up to these kinds of things, and he and he arrives at this principle. He, he says, if if you see Jesus in the Gospels, as he's walking around in space-time dimensions. You see Jesus receiving anything from the Father. It's got to be according to his human nature. Okay, and so that that principle forces us to acknowledge, okay, there's, there's a divine nature in Christ, there's a human nature in Christ. And so we think about um, as the eternal son of God with the father who was with the father in eternity, does he need any more affirmation than he's already got that he is God's son? No. So, but to fulfill all righteousness, he receives the gift of sonship so that those who are baptized into his name become sons of God. We get our identity because God delivered that identity to him to give to us. So he mediates. The same thing with the Holy Spirit. He didn't need any more of the Holy Spirit than he already had he, from eternity as the Son of God. They're one God. Um, and yet he receives it. And Acts, it says he received the promised Holy Spirit, so he pours out what you now see and hear. So you see that sort of transfer, and you start looking for it in other places in the Scriptures. One place you see it is, is when he heals the, the guy that was let down under the roof by forgiving sins. And, and they say, you can't do that. Only God can do that. And you know, just like there's a verb bara in Hebrew that to create that only God creates, that that verb is reserved for Him. You know, that verb for forgiveness is reserved for God in the Old Testament too. It's those Pharisees; they were they were perceptive. Only God forgives sins, and yet Jesus uh, says, "I'm I'm giving you a demonstration that the Son of Man, Jesus, according to His human nature, uh, the Son of God, has has received." authority on earth to forgive sins. And even that God raised Jesus from the dead, that is that is a gift of eternal life that he receives, so he gives to us. The glory, you see this in John 17, I, you know, glorify me and I want to glorify my followers, the glory of God, the, the holiness of God, the holiness of God is what makes us holy. So you, you start packaging these things and what do you get? You get a restoration of the image of God in fallen humanity. And there are limits on it. He says, you know, nobody knows the last day or hour, not even the Son of Man. Why? Because it is not for the disciples to know the times or the seasons that the Father set by his own authority, but it is for the disciples to re receive that of power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the end of the earth, to the end of the age. Um, so that content of what Christ mediates is, um, th that's who, that's our equipment as the royal priesthood, the, the kings and priests of God, um, the authority to forgive sins, the identity as sons and daughters of God, the the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, the 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 eternal life, the hope. Um, I, it's just so much the DNA of the gospel in all of that that you know our justification is is really on that. Everything hinges on Christ, um, and that's our confession. Uh, when, when we're saying Jesus Christ is Lord, we understand all of this other stuff uh, getting packaged in with that. So we could say that Jesus is eternal God? 
Um, and at a point in time, namely Christmas, he was uh, the eternal Trinity took on human flesh so that in Jesus, he could be the mediator, he could be the bridge between God and his creation, including us. Um, and that DNA that you talk about is is God's way of relating to us. Right. And and the thing is, it's always it's always outwardly directed. So while in our worship, we want to reflect back uh, with thanksgiving, all that we receive and in and, and praise and honor and glory, you know, that is an echo chamber. But in the world, we are not an echo chamber. Um, we are we are encountering um ethnicities natures and cultures and 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 this is where luther was so good um as he translated the bible he 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 contextualized it in the german culture and and he brought the word of god into the culture in a way that they could understand it and that sets a a precedent for us so that's the way that we confess the faith is is we bring it to the world and and if we do not have the clarity of that DNA that begins in the in in the Christology of it, and the mediation of Christ, and the authority to forgive sins, and the identity as children of God, all those things. If um, if we don't have clarity about that, it's really easy um, to to water down the gospel, or not be clear about the gospel, or let it get taken over by legalism in whatever cultural context. I and mean, that's what they were. That's what they were struggling with in Acts 15 um, is the, the that if the Gentiles were made to follow the Jewish customs, it would turn this faith that is by grace through faith as salvation into an, um, something that would be perceived and received as a to-do list. So Luther's Reformation activities began October 31st, 1517. And um, his his descriptions were sometimes very homey or earthy, um, so that they were accessible to the common people. And, and one of his phrases, he talked about the happy exchange. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. The, um, thank you for bringing that up. The um, the happy exchange is is marriage as a metaphor um, for what happens in the atonement. That. Um, you know, when when you get married, um, everything becomes common property. Uh, you know, my my wife's car became my car and we drove that for a while and um, or or vice versa. Maybe it was my car that we drove. Um, but then there's there's all kinds of baggage that you bring into marriage. You don't know that when you're dating each other. Well, that's that's what we're talking about when we talk about this happy exchange is we come into a relationship with God with lots of baggage. A lot of sin, shame, um, guilt, um, brokenness. The um, not just the the sins that are missing the mark or the trespasses where we cross the line, but the iniquities, the the flaws that of our character that that we grew up with. Um, all of this we bring into the relationship with God, and and, he, and the Lord Jesus um, assumes that from His bride. He it, it's really that the Lord and his bride that is the basis for that, that happy exchange that um, we get his righteousness. He gets our ugly baggage, our brokenness. And um, the, the exchange hasn't been completed yet, but it, except that it has on the cross. 
but we're still in process of receiving and and receiving the gifts of his righteousness. So we're in process, and yet we're saved. You you mentioned the word justification. Let's uh, you have a, a a handy definition of that word. Um. Well, I've heard it said, you know, just as if I'd never sinned. Um, it's it's one that um, you can spend your life uh, trying to unpack. Um, but the way I like to think about it is is the active righteousness of Christ. You know, um, Peter, I think, gets at this in, in his letter. He says, you know, to this you are called suffering. You know, you're blessed if you suffer for doing what's right. You're called to this because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. And so when they reviled him, he didn't he didn't insult back. Um, he blessed them. And so uh, the active righteousness of God, everything else that I'd mentioned, these were things the, the Son of Man received from the Father, the identity, the Holy Spirit, the 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 glory, the eternal life, all those things. But Jesus also was very active in demonstrating um his righteousness and his forgiveness of us on the cross and i think that's that's what it means to me to have justification from god i get the the active righteousness of god not only as a as a credit on my account um but as a resource in my life um because it is the spirit of christ now that is helping to guide my response to particular times so that I can act justly. You know, like uh, the prophet said this, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, that is the thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm justified just as if I had done all those things by faith, but the adventure now of following Christ, of, of confessing him in action, is to live out a justified life. So to our listeners, we are forgiven. You are forgiven if you're a believer in Christ. Even though we're not in heaven yet, uh, we have the opportunity not to worry about ourselves, but to worry about others, so to speak, and point their eyes to Jesus using this confession that comes out of the Bible. Yeah, I like hearing the way you say it. Um, if, if I'm not, I, I appreciate the clarity um, and, and the reframing of what you're saying. That's yeah, that's beautiful. That's um, that's what I mean to say here. No, you're saying it also. We'll come back to Doyle, uh, Pastor Doyle, in just a moment. Um, I'd like to let our listeners know that there is only one ELM Houston Evangelical Life uh, Ministries. Um, if you'd like to read more about us, uh, check us out. Please go to our program's website, elmhouston.org. There you can find shortcuts to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube accounts, or you can also donate to support our work. Also from our Facebook page, you can find podcasts of past programming. All of our on-air hosts are volunteers, so your donations go far to help us purchase radio airtime. We strive to have a wide variety of interviews with people who are creatively sharing the good news of Jesus Christ at that intersection of where faith meets life. You may also write us at ELM PO Box 568, Cypress, Texas 77410. Now back to Pastor Thimer. Doyle, we've got uh, maybe five minutes. So talking about Jesus as God and man, uh, eternal God who uh, came up with a plan of rescue for us mm -hmm. by uh, entering his broken creation and uh, offering us forgiveness and, and the way to eternity. So how do we define 
what is necessary in terms of confession? Necessary well, for our salvation, necessary for a life as Christians. Well, that's that's pretty clearly given. Um, what I was saying earlier, where Paul says, if you um, confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Um, that's, that's the scriptural standard. Uh, that's what's reflected in how we read the creed or understand the creed that this man purchased and won me with his own blood. Um, that's, that's the faith that saves us. That's the confession, the, the, the thing that we say, we're, we're saying something about reality. Um, and that being so simple, um, then, uh, we're left with the question of, okay, well now what? Well, if God has given me a new identity and the gift of the Holy Spirit in baptism. And and we, as Luther said, is, you know, baptism is a daily um, drowning of the old man and daily rising in newness of life, reflecting Paul, uh, Romans chapter six, Ephesians chapter four, where it's like you put off the old, uh, the, the, the old patterns and you put on the new patterns, let your mind be renewed by Christ. So I, I think if we think, thought about the Christian life as, okay, now we get to model repentance day after day. Okay, well, well, what is, what is that about? And uh, a, a passage that is spoken, I think, very personally to me around this, from Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah 15, where God says, uh, you know, as you return to me and you stand before me, um, it belongs to you now to separate what is precious from what is vile or worthless. You know, we often think in terms of truth and error um, or, you know, right and wrong, but that's a different kind of thing. What is precious from what is vile? And it, it leads me um, experientially to the fruit of the spirit versus the works of the flesh. And I, I think that is the big watershed every human being is going to struggle with the desires of the flesh and the destructiveness the self-destructiveness of the works of the flesh every human being is going to be fed on love joy and peace when it's true and when it's authentic the, the problem is see I, I think our churches haven't been uh fruitful enough in in things like love and joy and peace and yet we we talk about them and we all long for them. God God puts this longing in our heart to have these things. It's part of our created nature to want um, that. And 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 yet our sinful default is to pursue it through the desires of the flesh. Everyone, so we we have a situation. Everyone wants that fruit, but they don't have the root because it's rooted being rooted in Christ. And so uh, you know, I think for me creating a church where we see evidence of people who are joyful, people who are at peace with themselves, reconciled in their relationships, who are patient and kind um, and genuinely loving. If we can create that kind of community, it's gonna be very attractive, uh, but, it, but it takes a certain amount of vulnerability to have that in a way that's really authentic, that comes out of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, so that's, that's that's how I'm thinking about sanctification these days, um, really just in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. How can we cultivate that uh, 
And what are the disciplines and the processes we go through for that? So the seeds of this come to us as gifts from God. And, you know, lo longing for those things that are eternal, that aren't answered by our materialism and our material world is uh, uh, the encouragement that we have in Christ and point other people's eyes to that. And we we find our guidance through the Word of God, and uh, we state what we believe in through that confession that you're talking about. So Jesus is Lord. That's a, a three-word confession. That, uh, that's one even I can <laughs> memorize. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for being with us. Join us again real soon for another edition of Engaging Truth. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.